Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Tonight, join the ghouls and goblins of Triple Threat Theater as we enter the dim universe. Ooh. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. We've done it this time. Yeah. We say that a lot, though, so it's okay. <laughs> I feel like you say that every episode. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, it's part it of the show. Mm-hmm. We introduce ourselves. We give the title. You say we've done it again. And onward and upward. <laughs> so, Mills. Yeah. Tonight, we have 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's right, we do. 1994, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And 1999's Brandon Fraser's The Mummy. That we do. The Dim Universe, <laughs> which uh, that episode title was more meaningful like four or five years ago when I came up with it. Mm-hmm. Back when, I don't know if we had even gotten the first movie yet in the quote-unquote dark universe that uh, Universal was trying to do where they were going to make like a like a Marvel Cinematic Universe style superhero franchise with all of their universal monsters. It had to have been before because that movie did so horribly and that they shit can the whole thing right afterwards. Oh, so. yeah. It uh, it died immediately after that uh, Tom Cruise mummy movie came out. Did you ever see that movie? I did. Saw it in the theater. I was excited for it and everything. Not very good. No. No, sir. Once they had... Uh, Russell Crowe fumbling around trying to stop himself from turning to Mr. Hyde. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're in trouble. Just the whole idea of, like, the the actual Mummy movie that we're going to be talking about, the classic from 1999, mm-hmm. is, you know, it's that, like, lighthearted adventure, kind of like Jason and the Argonauts meets Indiana Jones kind of thing. Like, it already feels like it's in that perfect realm for, like, the the superhero movie yeah. but with monsters feel mm-hmm. actually like turning tom cruise into a like kind of a mummy to give him powers so he could like lead a super monster to it just it's an awful idea but i mean at the time like within the last probably between like five and ten years ago Every other day you were hearing that, oh, this studio announced they're going to be doing a cinematic universe and that studio announced they're going to be doing a cinematic universe. I think like there was going to be like a a Hasbro cinematic universe with like Mm -hmm. G.I. Joe and uh, like GoBots and shit like that. And it's like, (laughs) right. I just all the shit that you used to hear. But yeah, they actually tried to make a go of it Mm -hmm. with the dark universe for at least one movie. And honestly, I'm glad it didn't take at the time, what was like the setup? I mean, wasn't there like Johnny Depp, Invisible Man, and yeah, it was going to be Johnny Depp, Invisible Man. Which when that got canned, that's when it turned into Lee Wanell's Invisible Man, which is easily mm. got to be twenty times better than the Johnny Depp Dark Universe one would have been for sure. For sure, uh, there was going to be a Frankenstein movie. I forget oh, who was going to direct it, but wasn't it going to be Javier um, Bardem? Javier Bardem as the monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Those are the only ones I explicitly remember there being talk of, but I want to say there was a female one too, but like a like a Bride of Frankenstein or something. I don't remember what the character was, but it was just like a like a female lead. But mm-hmm. again, that mummy movie was so bad, yeah, and so poorly thought out that uh, died on the vine. Yeah, I don't remember what year that came out, but it has to be four or five years ago now, at least. Just think about it. If we probably would have the Mummy two with Tom Cruise by now, if it had been popular. I mean, you know, COVID held a lot of things up, but. If it was like mm-hmm. five years ago, there's a good chance we would have that. We'd have the mummy and the invisible man or uh, the Frankenstein and invisible man. And mm-hmm. who knows oh, what else sure. by now? I mean, the Lee Winnell's invisible man at this point is two years old. So, yeah, that came out right around the time COVID hit, because I think mm-hmm. that and uh, Vin Diesel's bloodshot movie were the last two things mm-hmm. I saw in the theater for a good year. Yeah, Invisible Man was for me too. So, yeah. If you, I mean, if you got to think, that uh, shitty Tom Cruise movie was probably like 2017, 2018. Yeah. Maybe before that. But yeah, things rough. Mm-hmm. It's no Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, that's for sure. That's true. Speaking of which, so yeah, the dim universe is. Uh, so I never really knew the connections. There are connections between uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Because Coppola directed Dracula, mm. and apparently mm. he was going to direct Frankenstein, but then yep. he just ended up producing it. Yep. But, like, I don't think they ever intended to, like, cross them over or anything, but it was, like, this initiative of let's redo these movies yeah. and then... Right. It's been long enough. It's the 90s. Like, whatever. We can reimagine some things. Mm-hmm. And then The Mummy, I don't think, was really connected to that. But just the fact that those three, those are, like, the big three, I would say. Because, you know, you've got The Invisible Man and uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, which classically came a good bit after the other, like, classic. I guess there's The Wolfman, too. When did that yeah. shitty Benicio Del Toro Wolfman movie come out? Like, around 2010? Mm, yeah, it's probably 10 years old at this point. Yeah, that was that was garbage, too. <laughs> that's one of those movies, too. It's like, I don't remember a goddamn thing about that movie. I saw it. Yeah. But I don't remember anything. I just remember seeing it in the theater and thinking it was awful. But Well, you know what that means. Got to throw it on a trifecta. <laughs> uh, for a chance, I don't like the way you think. <laughs> was there a like a, like a significant or like a high-profile werewolf movie in the 90s? Hmm. There was that movie uh, Wolf with Jack Nicholson, but that might have been Wolf the 80s. was... Yeah, that might have been like early 90s. It was Jack Nicholson and it was, uh, what's his name? Who played Ultron. Oh, James Spader? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I've ever seen that. They had like a werewolf fight at the end. It was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, what else would have been a werewolf movie in the 90s? Ginger Snaps? <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing on, Nothing on, on the level of like uh, these other not, movies we're Not your about, traditional, though. yeah, werewolf yeah. movie. Little surprising. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get more into it, but Dracula did quite well. Frankenstein was no slouch at the box office, and then, mm-hmm. I mean, The Mummy came a bit later, but that one was a big deal. Yeah. So it's a little surprising, you know. We're talking 92 and 94 for the first two and then 99 for the last one. It's a little surprising there's not like a 1997 werewolf movie. Yeah, totally. Starring like 
Who would have been the uh, the guy at the time, like Antonio Banderas or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was, I mean, it's not in the similar vein, but there was like a, wasn't it like Cursed or something? There was like a Wes Craven werewolf movie. Yeah, you may be right. Around the time of like post-Scream. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Well, it worked out for us because mm. we only review three movies an episode, so yeah, werewolf so, just would have muddied the waters. Totally. Yeah, so I had seen The Mummy. I feel like it's a movie that I watched many times in the early 2000s and then hadn't watched for like 15 years. And then just coincidentally, not for a review for a podcast or any any other specific reason, I was just like in the mood to rewatch it. And I rewatched The Mummy about a month ago. And then this episode oh. came up and I was like, oh, guess I'm watching it again. <laughs> I'm kind of similar in that I'm pretty sure I must have seen this in the theater. Um, we'll get into my obsession with Egypt as a, a child. Noted. During that review, but I most likely had to have seen that in the theater. Watched it a bunch of times. I know I owned it on DVD at some point. And then same thing, like didn't see it for a long time. Saw the sequel. I never saw the third one. Same. I've seen the um, second one. I don't think I ever watched any of the Scorpion Kings, and I never, I feel like by the time the, what was it, the the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor or something yeah. was the third one? Yeah. Like, by the time that one came out, it was like, I want to say it was like past 2005, it was like 2007 or something, oh, yeah. and I feel yeah, like it was, it was I was later. like over the franchise at that point and thought like, oh, well, this isn't going to be any good. I've just never seen it. Yeah. And, um... You know, people were recast, different things like that. But um, mm. yeah, so I never saw that. And then, yeah, probably went a while without seeing it. And then in the last like year, at some point, actually, it must have been you gave me digital codes for it. Yeah, for that's because I bought it recently. And that's when I was like, oh, I uh, I should rewatch it. <laughs> okay, because that's when I rewatched it. So it's been less than the last year. It's whenever, <laughs> whenever. Yeah, I didn't get codes. that movie super long ago. So it must so, have been yeah. pretty recently. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that movie, I feel like Brendan Fraser in general, in the last, like, five years, you know, he's popping up and stuff now. He's on Doom Patrol, and I think he got right. announced as he's going to play Firefly in the Batgirl movie that's coming up. Oh, okay. But, and you see him here and there, but, like, for a while, he kind of, like, disappeared. Like, you know, he was doing stuff like George of the Jungle and whatnot, and then he does The Mummy, and I feel like that made him a big star. Mm-hmm. And then he did a couple of other like family friendly things like that Looney Tunes back in action movie. And then it's like he fell off the face of the earth. And then the next time you see him, like he's put on a lot of weight now and he looks like a completely different person, but he's popping yeah. up and stuff left and right nowadays. I feel like within the last five years, there was like this kind of growing sensation online of people being like, hey, remember Brendan Fraser? Whatever happened to him? Bring back Brendan Fraser. Justice for Brendan Fraser. Why can't Brendan (laughs) Fraser get work anymore? And Like BuzzFeed articles about like, here's what happened to Brendan Fraser and why you haven't seen him in a while. And and yeah, like all that that stuff and like seeing people posting about the mummy all the time made me like, yeah, I really want to rewatch that. So Mm. yeah. It worked in our favor. Yeah, just a shame that this episode couldn't have come up like a month ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then uh, Dracula I had seen I, at least two times, maybe three times before. It's one of those movies that I know a lot of people love and kind of like Blade Runner for me. I feel like I watch it every few years thinking like, this is the time I'm going to love it. And then I never mm-hmm. do. And then, mm. you know, 
rinse and repeat. And then Frankenstein, like I, I feel like I only learned that there was a Frankenstein movie starring Robert De Niro, like four years ago. Like somehow I never knew about this movie or had like seen the poster, but didn't know Robert De Niro was in it. And when I found out about it, I was like, holy shit, this I got to see. And so I watched it for the first time, maybe like two years ago. So that was a a kind of recent revelation for me. Hmm. I was like aware of both of these when they came out. Um, Frankenstein for sure. Didn't see it in the theater, but I have seen it probably at least, at least once, maybe twice before, but it's been a long time. Kind of similar with the mummy, like saw it a couple times and then long time since I've seen it. There's only a couple things we'll get into it, but a couple things I like remembered of the movie mm-hmm. as I was watching it. And then, um, you know, getting right into Bram Stoker's Dracula, technically i've never seen it before milsey oh really well yeah and the the caveat to that is i think i've just fallen asleep every time i've tried to watch it (laughs) which is at least been twice if not three times well you know what that's our first movie why don't we just dive in yes please uh from 1992 we have bram stoker's dracula doctor yeah How did Lucy die? Was she in great pain? Yeah, she was in great pain. Then we cut off her head and drove a stake to her heart and burned it, and then she found peace. Doctor! Please. (laughs) So, Mr. Harker, I must now ask you, as your doctor, sensitive question during your infidelity of those creatures those demonic women did you for one instant taste of their blood no 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 good then you have not infected your blood with the terrible disease that destroyed poor Lucy Doctor, you must understand. I doubted everything, even my mind. I was impotent with fear. I know. But, sir, I know where the bastard sleeps. I brought him there, to Carfax Abbey. Vampires do exist. So... I was thinking, I was like, I feel like I, you know, definitely didn't watch this in 92. I was 10. I mean, I was like, again, I was very aware of it, but just never saw it. And I thought sometime in the, let's say post Netflix coming out, I must've tried to have watched it. Cause I could, I was like pretty familiar with the opening scene mm-hmm. before it uh, comes, goes to like the quote unquote modern day in the movie. And then, there had been a recent year for maybe like Shocktober where I started to watch it but didn't finish it because when I went into Netflix to watch it, it had only progressed like, you know, 20% of the screen time. And I was like, <laughs> and then in the end, finally watching it, I was like, yeah, I've never seen any of this. Wow. So you were able to make it through this time, hopefully? 
this time I made it through. I did fall asleep actually watching it though for the show. <laughs> yeah. The other night I did fall asleep watching. It. <laughs> this is a movie that you know, obviously there's a lot of things on one hand that I really dig about it. And I have to imagine that whatever your takeaway from the actual film itself is, you're on the same page as me that the practical effects and the like ingenuity of a lot of the visuals and stuff is very interesting. Visually, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. There's a lot of neat costumes and there's some cool like makeup effects and stuff. But then on the other hand, it's like kind of a slow, kind of a dull movie. It's got some questionable performances and casting decisions. The actual story is a little bit of a mess, I feel. I mean, at the end of the day, it got uh, a, it got four Academy Award nominations, none of which were for like the film itself. It was all like technical stuff. But uh, yeah, like I'm a little surprised that the movie is so well regarded and people like it so much in general, because it's still like this weird outlier to me that. It's like I I respect certain things about it, but there's very few instances when I'm watching it where I'm like actually actively enjoying it. Mm. I will say I'm gonna come around and say it. This movie's weird as shit. Yeah, that's undeniable. This, this movie it feels like it almost feels like a like a stage show of mm-hmm. Dracula. You know, it's like and I think you could chalk that up to a lot of things. Even like you said, the costuming, the sets, like the, yeah. I know it's like pretty famous for like all it's like in camera tricks mm-hmm. to even like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, was there, was there like a push by uh, Coppola to like use old techniques as much as possible? Cause it's just got like, it's got just like such a weird feeling. And then the story, like I've never read Frankenstein or Dracula. So I don't know like the. You know, we know like all the check off all the trope things that come with these characters, but like the actual books, like I don't know what happens in those. And watching the movie, so much of it feels like, yeah, like, oh, this must be a scene from book, (laughs) from the book. But like between the next scene, they they had to cut out 40 pages of story or something because it's it just it feels it's a series of scenes. That like tells just like kind of an odd story. It feels like it just feels like jittery almost to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, calling back to this just being like a weird movie, a weird experience. I did actually enjoy it because like the things you mentioned, like I almost can like, like would write off the story. But there's so many times where there's just like cool camera tricks. There's tons of miniature work. The, the costumes are amazing. I mean, the creature effects are killer in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's such like an odd experience. <laughs> so it makes sense to me that like why people like it. Because it's like if you can, for me, it's almost like divorcing the the story <laughs> aspect of it. I take a lot away from it as I watched it. Now, of course, like I said, I fell asleep every time I watch it. <laughs> but as I was like finally like in a good spot to watch it, I did find myself like, it's weird, Millsy. It's almost like I just like stopped following the story at one point, just like really started eating up the visuals. Cause there's like so yeah. much, there's weird camera transitions between scenes. Like that's just like the funkiest stuff going on in this movie that I found that like pretty endearing. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, to what you were saying, um, Coppola had had, um, 
he, you know, a couple of his movies like uh, Apocalypse Now and one or two others, they had gone like way over schedule and way over budget. So he didn't want that to happen again. And so he made some decisions to try and keep the movie on time and on budget, including pretty much the entire thing is shot on sound stages so they wouldn't have to worry about the weather. Makes sense. And uh, you know, I still don't fully understand how much like digital effects costs versus practical effects myself. I mean, I imagine that there's, they're both complicated in their own ways and whatnot, but um, yeah, he did decide that he wanted to do pretty much everything that he possibly could in camera and avoid CGI and digital stuff. So he actually hired a visual effects team and when he was explaining to them like what he wanted, they insisted that like it would be impossible to achieve what he wanted to do with practical effects. So he just fired him, and mm. then he hired his uh, son, Roman Coppola, to do all the special effects for the movie. Damn. Who I don't believe by trade is any kind of special effects artist, but pretty much everything in the movie was done with rear projection, matte paintings, forced perspective, miniatures, multiple exposure. Like they went so far as to... They would like film something and then they would rewind that film and film something else to like have two images on the same piece of film. Like that's something that you would normally do in editing, like with computers. Yeah. But they straight up did that like old school, like everything was done with an old school effect except for the blue flames outside Dracula's castle. That was the only optical effect in the entire film. Oh. But everything else like... Things turning into things and, uh, like, things superimposed over other things. Like, all of that was done in That's, camera. I mean, there's, like, a lot. There's a lot to, to see in this movie when it comes. There's, like, a scene, maybe, like, uh, the completely out of his element Keanu Reeves is on the train. And there's, like, a giant, like, floating Dracula head over it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's got to be like that, uh... Multiple on exposure. Top of, yeah, I'm pretty sure that it is. And like there was a part of the movie where uh, there was supposed to be like a, I think another part when Keanu was on a train and he was like looking at a map and the map was supposed to be like superimposed over a shot of him. So they literally just got a projector and projected the map onto his face. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? I, I, I dig that. Mm-hmm. I, wish there, I wish there was more of that today. Yeah. And I mean... Some of it looks a little weird. Like the one of the coolest things about the movie is that scene early on when uh, when Keanu is first at the castle and Dracula's shadow is doing things mm-hmm. that his like mm-hmm. body is not. Yes, and um, it's it's hard to know if had they done that digitally, would they have still made it so obvious? Like you know, there are parts where like the camera pans in so you can't see Dracula. You just see his shadow. And then all of a sudden the camera pans and Dracula is like in a completely different place and the Mm -hmm. shadow never moved. Like obviously those are meant to be that way, but there are parts of that scene where the shadow is doing the same thing that Dracula is doing, but you can tell it's a little off and it's like, if they had done it digitally, would those have been normal shadows or not? But the fact that they did it, you know, physically in camera the way that they did, they literally just had a guy off camera mimicking the movements of Gary Oldman as close as he could with Which like a cool. bright light shining yeah. on him. I like that. Like that's super cool. Things like 
when uh, the liquid out of that vial drips upwards, like that's uh-huh. just filmed yeah. upside down and the yeah. camera is turned around <laughs> and things I didn't even notice. Like this, I was reading that the scene where Dracula is shaving Keanu to give like a, like an ongoing sense of like tension and claustrophobia Every time the camera angle changes, they moved the walls of the set a little closer. Oh, no shit. So that as the scene goes on, the room is getting smaller and smaller, which you don't necessarily notice. Like Just the weirdest shit, but I love it. (laughs) That weird-ass movie magic, man. I dig it. Yeah, and there's so many, like, monster makeups and things, and this really felt like, you know, again, Francis Ford Coppola, he's made, like, Apocalypse Now, and he's made the Godfather movies, and he's, Mm -hmm. like at least especially at the time was like an important name of note who made these like serious dramatic films. And this just felt like him being like a kid in a candy store, like having fun with it. Yeah. I, I know I, I did read something about the, the red like dragon armor or whatever they call it from the beginning, which Mm -hmm. is like, I would say it's like pretty iconic at this point. Like, Oh yeah. Movie people for sure. Like know it immediately. And it was like some kind of anecdote that was just like, um, I think it was Francis Ford Coppola or even like the costume designer. I can't think of her name, but she's pretty famous too. She did the 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 cell with Jennifer mm. Lopez, which has awesome costumes as well. Yeah. It was like just basically like some note about like don't we don't want to go conventional. We want to make it weird. Yep. Like paraphrasing and I'm I'm all about that. Yeah, that was pretty much his edict. Uh I she so the costume designer, I I also don't remember her name, but I believe she's Japanese. Mm -hmm. She had been hired to do some other job on the movie. I forget if it was like storyboards or like set designs or or something. And then Coppola saw some of like the costumes that she, like the the figures that she had drawn. And then he was immediately like, oh, I want you to do the costumes. And for all of the designers and whatnot, he gave people inspiration like of certain artists and things that he would Mm -hmm. like them to kind of reference. That's cool. For the most part, you know, like classically ever since Bela Lugosi, Dracula has been like all black with a cape and like the widow's peak and everything. And they went completely far afield of what had been done before where Dracula wears like the first time you see him, he's like that bright red gown and like Mm -hmm. the big, you know, butt cheek hairdo. And he's (laughs) like, which is awesome. Yeah. He's like old and wrinkly and. Like, I guess I I also have never read Dracula, but apparently he's described in the, in the book, uh, early on, uh, as being like, kind of just like an, uh, a tall, thin old man wearing all black with like a white mustache. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't exactly go with that either, but, you know, based on some of the things I was reading, uh, you know, aside from Bela Lugosi, this has become like the go-to, the thing that people know and reference as Dracula, like completely created a new visual reference for mm. the character just because of how different and unusual it was. Yeah. And it's so much, so much of the movie is that. And I like really, really honestly found myself like getting so much enjoyment out of that aspect of it. And mm-hmm. even just watching and just knowing, like kind of like looking for weird, weird shit they're going to pull on camera, you know, like and then you get into the, the creature designs, man. He's got he's got like the Wolfman version. He's got <laughs> yeah. that that the bat, bat creature thing. He's yeah. got like a a couple versions of like kind of just humanoid, like bat face. 
and he's old and he's young. Like, there's a bunch of cool stuff on mm-hmm. there. I don't know. Is it... He turns into rats. Yeah, he turns into rats when he goes into the shadows. He's that got those part red was eyes. Cool, yeah. Oh, that was good. There's a part where, like, he, um, towards the end in the climax, where he, like, explodes out of that box. Mm hmm. Like, I got a kick out of that, too. It's just like a random thing, but I was like, man, they really go for it with this stuff. Yeah. So, between. All of the visual decisions and stuff like that, the weirdness, the the cool designs, and like the feeling of the sets and the crazy costumes and everything. Between all of that and the fact that I do think that the latter half of the movie picks up the pace quite a bit, and especially when they get into like the chase where they're trying to like head off Dracula's transport to like kill him before he can get back to his home turf and everything like Mm -hmm. that stuff is more entertaining. And I feel like I'm more engaged at that point. I do just feel like the first half of the movie is a bit slow. I mean, Anthony Hopkins plays Van Helsing, who is Mm -hmm. the, you know, the main one who like fights Dracula. He doesn't show up until like halfway through the movie. Right. And I know enough about the original story to know that it does involve like, you know, land dealings and stuff like that. (laughs) So like that's from the book. And I guess, you know, it's important to the story of Dracula, uh, but it's just not the most exciting thing in the world. That's the stuff that I fall asleep at every time, Mills. Yeah. I get through that opening, which is like fun and a good time. And, you know, uh, Gary Ullman like acts the hell out of that part. But yeah, as soon as it gets to. The quote unquote present day, and we're getting to the land deals. It it, it kind of puts the puts the brakes on. Yeah, I mean, it is like there's interesting concepts there. Like there's all these tropes, like you mentioned earlier, that we all know about vampires. But uh, you know, they they bucked the trends with a few of them in this, like Dracula being able to walk around in the sunlight. But one of the things that they stuck with is that in order for him to like sleep and recharge from the day or whatever, he has to either be in a coffin or he has to be like buried in the soil of his home. Mm-hmm. So it's a neat idea that, you know, Dracula as this evil character, like he's kind of stuck in his home turf because if he leaves for too long, then I guess it'll kill him or whatever. But he's buying all of these uh, properties around London so that he can box up and transfer there, like just crates full of dirt from his home. And so he can like dump it in all of these properties so that he can like basically go to London fuck around and do his thing and then have all these like hideouts yeah. that he can yeah. go back to it's got and, all these flop houses yeah it's like go. a neat idea for like oh god they're being slowly invaded without their knowledge by this thing that is like preparing mm-hmm. you know all these places it can go to hide when it needs to but it just it's just kind of dull in the first half no it is i mean the, that's where it really gets into like building up that, then there's all a lot of scenes that just they almost feel like dream sequences. I'm you know oh, yeah. entirely sure what is or isn't actually happening. You know, like you said, it ramps up it ramped up a lot for me when it gets to like, you know, they're trying to stop him and then the the climax and everything. But man, it feels like it feels very jittery, for sure, story wise throughout. Yeah, which. I mean, again, it is like visually fascinating and there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but the sheer fact that the story is so kind of 
obtuse and weirdly paced. It is surprising to me that the movie is so popular with them within the mainstream, just because it feels like there's plenty of movies that are weird, but people can't get into just because they're weird. But this one in defiance of how strange the actual subject matter of the movie is people mm-hmm. still get on board with it. But I mean, I, that's cool, but people love them vamps mills. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, because of, I don't know, because of all the things we've mentioned, about the story and the pacing. I, I've never been a huge fan. I, I will say that watching it this time, and I do feel like this happens from time to time, not all the time, obviously, but you know, when I revisit something for the the show or sometimes even when I watch something for the first time that I'm not expecting to particularly care for, mm-hmm. I do feel like there's an element of when I'm watching something for this show, I'm like considering it a little more. It's not as much of just like a passive movie watching experience because I know I'm going to have to talk about it or whatever. So I feel like I did potentially take something more away from the movie this time than I usually do. Mm -hmm. And it probably also helps that inevitably after I watch something like this, uh, I sit down and I do all the research for the show. And, you know, I obviously knew that there was cool stuff visually going on in the film, but then reading more about it just makes it even more interesting. Yeah. Again, it's that movie magic stuff. That certainly it seems sounds like it has like a real great story, a like production story. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would feel you know it's almost like it'd be hard to discuss. Or I don't know if it's like someone following along with us talking about without actually seeing it because I can't even imagine what it sounds like we've described. But <laughs> yeah, I would like love to like I would love to just hear from other people that actually have seen it and liked it because I'd be curious if it's like the similar kind of things. Like, do people acknowledge that the stories like? kind of all over the place but it's got the it's it's its own kind of quirky out there you know it's the weird version of dracula is that what people like i'd be curious to see yeah i mean i run into a few instances of this out there in the world of movies you know like we have talked about blade runner before mm-hmm. as being one that i think is like visually fascinating but like kind of a dull and obtuse movie but it's like a beloved film by most viewers and then something else that I always feel like I'm a man on an island with is uh, the original Tim Burton Batman, where, again, visually interesting, but I just find that movie so boring. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it means a lot to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I've just never personally been able to connect with all that much. And I feel like this movie is kind of in that same camp as just, like, you know, popular genre films that, for whatever reason, I, who am normally way into genre stuff, haven't been the biggest yeah, fan of but it doesn't register it was a different experience for me for finally seeing the whole thing and i don't know i was i was i was, like i said i was kind of became endeared with it once i was told myself like i i was i just kind of knew like by the end of this story i'm either like not gonna like follow along that well but so i was just told myself i'm just gonna eat up the stuff i'm enjoying and i did so yeah the weird experience. It's like the first movie, like even for Triple Threat, where I would feel like I'd describe anything like that. But yeah, if something's going to fit it, I feel like it's going to be this movie. I just wish, like, the movie's probably what, like two hours long? Yeah. I just wish it was like an hour and a half and that first hour was condensed. Because I feel like if it picked up the pace a little in the beginning, so the entire thing moved along a little bit more like the pace of the uh, mm-hmm. the last hour that I would be way more into the movie the entire time. Yeah, but. no, it, it's certainly the, like, second, I'll even say, because after the opening is probably like a good 10, 15 minutes, 
that like following half hour, 45, it's like could need could use some work and be a lot different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Money Talks, uh, $40 million budget, $215.9 million in the box office. That always plays. Yeah, it opened at number one. As I mentioned, it was nominated for four Academy Awards, and it ended up winning for uh, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Editing, and Best Makeup. Oh, it's a good makeup, for yeah, sure. None of those really surprised me all that much. Gary Oldman's got to be in our repeat offenders club, right? Uh, he is. This is our fourth Gary Oldman movie, and all of them in oh, yeah. pretty Book recent memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he was in the Book of Eli. On uh, these might even all be this season of the show. I think they are. Uh, Book of Eli was on uh, the Blind Blade. Uh, True Romance was with Jesse just recently. The pen um, is mightier than the yeah. The pen is mightier than the the camera. Then the Fifth Element, just like two three episodes, episodes ago. Yep. Bruce to the future, and now care. now Bram Stoker's Dracula. Well, we've got a few. Still, I think James Hong's still in the lead with five. But. Yeah, James Hong is in the lead. We got a couple other people with four. Mm, the interesting it. thing is, like, <laughs> just to get off on this tangent for a couple of minutes, like Al Pacino is up there, but we had an episode devoted to Al Pacino. So mm-hmm. it's like there were three movies on that one episode, and then he was also in. Uh, Devil's, devil's, devil's advocate. advocate. But then we have people like Gary Oldman, four appearances on the podcast so far on four different episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Brad Pitt. Uh, he's oh, right. been on the show yep. four times, four different episodes. So I, I always think that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love I love having this third list of ours here at our spreadsheet of that. Yeah. It was only a matter of time before I started noticing those trends and made that mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of uh, Gary Oldman and uh, casting, Liam Neeson wanted to play Van Helsing in the movie. He was apparently like really fighting for the role. Oh. But then uh, Silence of the Lambs came out in 1991 and made Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins hot in the streets, and he showed interest in the role, and they were basically like, sorry, Liam, we mm. have other plans. This would have been like uh, Dark Man era Liam Neeson, too. Uh, when Dark was that Man movie? Was like... Late 80s? Early 90s? Might have been a 90, 91, yeah. Oh, there you go. And uh, actors who tried out for the role of Dracula but did not end up getting it were Andy Garcia, Gabriel Byrne, Armand Asante, which would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Banderas and Vigo Mortensen. Vigo. Okay. All right. And something I thought was kind of interesting is uh, this movie was actually brought to Coppola's attention by Winona Ryder. So apparently she was supposed to be in The Godfather Part 3, but had to back out like last minute and uh, that caused like production delays. And so after that movie, she had like a, uh, she just like contacted Coppola to like go out to lunch or something, basically just to smooth things over because she like fucked up his movie. And uh, like as the way that they tell the story, like as she was leaving, she had the script for dracula which she had been like helping to move along like she wanted to do it and Mm -hmm. she like showed the script to coppola and when he saw the title on the the title page apparently his eyes lit up like he was a fan of the property and was immediately interested in doing it so you know for anybody who complains about winona Ryder and keanu reeves in this movie which is a lot of people i feel at least uh, one of them was a 
key in bringing the thing yeah. to the screen. I mean, I could kind of, I guess I could see it with Keanu because he's got that, it's his like uh, accent people ride him about, right? Yeah. I also think he's just, I don't know, he, like, I like him. He's not the strongest actor in the world. There are performances where I feel like he's putting more into it than others. And this one, he just feels kind of like a wet piece of bread. Yeah, it's not a great role anyways. You know, I don't feel like there's a lot for that character to do regardless. But um, yeah, yeah, it seems like he's just kind of out of it a bit in this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess their first choice was Christian Slater, but he turned it down. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I I definitely feel like I had a better experience with it this time than I ever had before. But Mm -hmm. uh, I always go into it thinking... Like I said, this is going to be the time where I really connect with it, and it still hasn't really happened. Huh. I mean, it's interesting, because for me, I watched it first, because I was like, A, I'm going to fall asleep, which I did. <laughs> B, I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna how it's going to go, but so it was a su- surprising turn of events for me, mm-hmm. for all the weird reasons I've just explained. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, on to our second film. Please. All right, we have next up Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1994. I'm glad you finally came in. A man shouldn't have to hide in the shadows. Better that way for me. Why? People are afraid, except you. It can't be as bad as that. Worse. I can see you with my hands, if you trust me. Poor man. Have you no friends? There are some people. But they don't know me. Why do you not go to them? I am so very ugly and they are so very beautiful. Man, they got De Niro in some stilts in this movie. Some stilts? Robert De Niro is like five seven. <laughs> Saying they gave him some lifts. They had to have. 
I don't know if I, I would not have guessed that he was that short. Like I always just perceived him as being like a big dude. I think by the the tricks of this movie, you'd think he's like six three, but uh... <laughs> well, news to me. Yeah, like I said, I uh, I didn't really know about this movie until a few years ago. I only first saw it like within the last two years, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a lot of knowledge going into this one. But um, I I I found it interesting to learn, like when I was doing my research, that. Uh, James V. Hart, who was the screenwriter of Dracula, also produced this movie. Oh. And then I discovered, oh, it was another Francis Ford Coppola project. That's part of the reason. Apparently, he likes to put the writer's name in front of his movie titles if it's based on like a book or something. So, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Mm. I guess, uh, like uh, Mario Puzo's The Godfather or whatever. I I don't really recall that movie being referred to as that ever, but that's what I was kind of reading in the interviews I saw. But uh, yeah, he had intended to make this movie as well. Again, not as like, uh, you know, one's a sequel to the other, or they take place in the same universe or whatever, but just as a kind of like, you know, uh, sister film. Right. And then, for whatever reason, he gave it to uh, Kenneth Branagh to direct. And uh, the interesting thing about that is that um, he stayed on as producer and ended up having frequent arguments with Branagh over like the decisions he was making with the film. Mm. And after Coppola viewed a rough cut of the movie, he wanted Branagh to cut the entire first half hour out of this movie to get it moving, which is funny because that's what we were just saying. We kind of wish that they did <laughs> to yeah. Dracula. And uh, when Branagh refused, Coppola renounced the film. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, and by all accounts from everything I was reading, uh, apparently, a lot of people were upset with Branagh uh, when it came to this movie. There were two screenwriters. One was a woman named Steph Lady, who I looked her up, and this is the only movie she's ever written. The only other film credit I could find is she was a producer on Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle movie. <laughs> so course. I assume that most of the credit for this one goes to Frank Darabont, who was the other screenwriter. And he has said that he's like not happy with the movie at all with what Branagh did with it as well. Hmm. So, wow, interesting. That actually be kind of that makes me like want to read the script. You know, I mean, I like Frank Darabont anyway, but mm-hmm. I'd be curious. I'd be curious to see like how to what's like on the printed page that is or isn't translated when it comes to the film. You know, only differences I really know about in the little bit of reading I did was that. Branagh apparently did like an unofficial rewrite uh, before making the film, and he added the part where uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character like uh, commits suicide at the end with the oil lamp mm. and like burns herself alive. Oh, that's the only thing I really know offhand. But I mean, that feels like a necessary part of the movie for her to off herself because she's a monster. Yeah, I kind of agree. I don't know if maybe she mm. was supposed to throw herself out a window or something instead, or mm. or how different it was. I just know that I read that that was one of the things that Branagh changed. I mean, Branagh was all about showing himself with no shirt on in this movie. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that. For sure. <laughs> yeah. He's flaunting it in this one. I mean, he's. I feel like I know him more as a director than an actor, but I guess he's probably equally known as both, but... Um, yeah, I feel like I haven't seen him in a lot of things. I don't like particularly love him in this movie. I enjoy this movie. 
Mm-hmm. I can remember like seeing it like it would probably would have been late nineties for me just in that, that time of getting into movies more and more and like just finding this one kind of be odd. The whole part of being De Niro, I can always remember being like kind of out there again. Like I was saying in the opening, like I didn't remember a ton of this movie. I remembered it being bookended by the Arctic circle stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that like, uh, the monster like plucks, uh, her heart right out of her chest uh, like a creep like that's the stuff that stuck out to me mm-hmm. so watching it like you know after a long time and not seeing it as adult like i still find myself enjoying it like again never read frankenstein so i don't know how much of this is or isn't from the book mm-hmm. i can imagine there's you know there's plenty of liberties taken with some things like i enjoy i found myself enjoying all the like the actual process of him making the monster. Yeah. You know, like for when he goes to, when you see De Niro and he's like got the one leg and he kills that one scientist and that's what gets, gets him uh, hanged. That one you scientist. Know? You mean John Cleese? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, which is like, which I think I saw somewhere is like got a bunch of prosthetics on or whatever. Like, um, I think they, his nose or his teeth or something like they they mm-hmm. did something to change his look, but uh, you know, like that whole process, like his laboratory, I like the whole thing with the eels. You know, it's like all <laughs> like it's very like grimy and gross. But well, just the fact that they show they explain that he needs amniotic fluid for yes. the process, and yeah. they actually show a scene of a woman's water breaking into a bucket and then him paying, like, this nurse to give him the bucket. <laughs> right. Like he was waiting, off, like, yeah. in the other room for it to happen so he could pay it off. And then you have to assume that that's what that chamber is filled with that they cook Frankenstein oh, yeah. in. And oh, yeah. so when it spills on the floor and they're just both covered in it and slipping around, you're just yeah. thinking, like, that is... That's awfully foul. <laughs> and then, like, he, you know, he uh, hangs Frankenstein by the chains from the ceiling, and he's just standing there covered in this slick yeah. amniotic fluid, and then he just goes to bed. And I'm thinking, no wonder he got the fucking flu or whatever he ended up with. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah, it can be pretty gross and graphic at times. Oh, yeah. They kind of don't don't hold back with the, the gore a bit in this one. Yeah. You know, there's the story's like interesting with the whole like, you know, there's like an ongoing cholera outbreak, mm-hmm. you know, and he's so he's like, you know, he's sequestered himself away to build the monster. Like, I kind of I, I do like that whole story. I think I'd probably say I like the first half of the movie more than the second half. Yeah. I don't know if you, you this stuck out to you when when the monster escapes. And he has Frankenstein's diary, mm-hmm. you know, and like the, he gets attacked by the people in the village and then he takes off and then Frankenstein ends up leaving too. And then it seems like the monster just happens to find him. Where was it in Geneva where he's just like, he's like out in the woods and like all of a sudden he just happens to be near like the family home. Do you remember that part? Yeah, it is funny because like. He he reads in the book that it's, it belongs to Frankenstein of Geneva. Mm-hmm. And I think he, like, looks up and says, like, Geneva. And then it cuts to <laughs> yeah. just this gigantic, barren, snowy wasteland with, like, yeah. mountains. And it's just this uh, helicopter shot circling him 
walking alone through this vast yeah. snowy right. wasteland. And then the next thing you know, he's in the woods outside Frankenstein's ha- yeah. Or, yeah, his house. And it's like, okay, uh, how many times did he have to stop and ask for directions? Like he doesn't right. just naturally know where Geneva is, right? And, <laughs> he's, yeah. He's like, he basically he's like ends up in the backyard seemingly by accident. And I like rolled my <laughs> eyes pretty hard at that part. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, does that just not stick out to anyone else? But whatever. I mean, you know. Things happen, the whole, you know, he goes, tries living as the, the guy in the woods with that family, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that whole deal. And then, yeah, stuff like that with the blind man, that's kind of classic Frankenstein. I, again, mm-hmm. like you haven't read the book. I, I know enough about Frankenstein to know some of the things that they got right or that they did their version of. Mm-hmm. I do believe that the original novel ends with Frankenstein in, uh, with the monster in the Arctic. Because mm-hmm. I know that, oh, okay. like, the sequel comic book series by Steve Niles and Bernie Wrightson, like, started with him in the Arctic, I think. Oh. Uh, that stuff is, like, a must-read, in my opinion, as well. Frankenstein Alive Alive. That was the series that Bernie Wrightson was working on when he died, actually. And so... Oh, I'd like to get eyes on that. Uh, I mean, he was he was known for doing Frankenstein-related artwork. He did, like, an illustrated version of the book with his, like, extremely detailed pen and ink style back in the day that got reprinted again recently so like i own a copy of the book with his illustrations in it but i've never read it oh, just like nice. i own a copy of dracula with illustrations by becky clunan in it but i've never read the book oh <laughs> <laughs> but i'm um, reading the doom mills yeah but uh yeah it's interesting like i feel like this movie is about the same length as dracula maybe a little shorter i'm not sure I think they're right about the same two-hour mark. Yeah, and, you know, we had that comment about how we thought the beginning of Dracula could have been shorter, and Coppola felt that the beginning of this movie could have been shorter. I think that the thing that makes this... I'm not going to say it makes the movie better, but the thing that makes it, like, an easier watch is that the story is told in a much more linear, understandable way. It's not as dreamlike and unusual. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to just like sit and follow because your brain doesn't have to do that much work to understand what's going right. on at any given Dracula, time. Dracula is definitely like the art house version of a Dracula movie mm-hmm. where this is definitely much more conventional. Yeah. So there's things that I like about this, uh, you know, for being like the excitement a couple years ago of learning like, holy shit, Robert De Niro played Frankenstein's monster and then seeing it and he's kind of understated. And on one hand, that's nice. Because they didn't go over the top with it, but on the other hand, like, I wanted to see fucking Robert De Niro play mm. Frankenstein's monster, and I don't, I, I, I don't know, I don't feel like he brings as much to the character as, like, I kind of wished he would. Yeah, he's not, like, really unhinged at all. He doesn't, like, yeah. uh, he doesn't really, like, get nuts. <laughs> yeah. Not really at all. I, uh, like, I like, I like Helena Bonham Carter. I think she's all in. Kenneth Branagh, I think, is fine. I think it could have been more interesting with uh, with somebody else in the role. I don't know who, but yeah, he doesn't just doesn't do anything for me. It's like you said, it's fine. Yeah, I won't say he's terrible, but stuff in the movie looks cool. Like those Arctic shots are really nice. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the lab is really cool. The like the school with that like tall room with like all the the balconies with the students like looking yep. down and even the house with that giant room with the huge stair, like the staircase kind of curved staircase ridiculous. with no railings on it. Like mm-hmm. all that stuff is visually interesting, but the actual like 
cinematography and like filmmaking itself i don't think is all that interesting which is like a stark no. contrast from dracula yeah i thought the same thing if, if this one feels like very just kind of like point and shoot yeah you know like so like knowing that coppola uh was planning on making this one as well as like a companion piece to dracula i kind of wish that he had yeah i'd like to see what his robert de niro frankenstein movie could have been and could have looked like yeah no, I'm with you. I'm. It is surprising, especially because Dracula came out first, that it wasn't pushed for more to, to have this be as much like that as possible. Yeah, especially after that one won awards for like all the, mm-hmm. the designs and the makeup and everything. But then this one, yeah, I don't know. I guess Dracula had more of like an artsy vibe to it, which people could latch on to, whereas this one, I don't, this one just feels like a little hokey and corny to me mm-hmm. and- well, it's gross. I mean, this movie's gross. Yeah. Where Dracula is still, you have that whole kind of like sexy vampire vibe <laughs> that so many people love with vampire stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a very different uh, feeling when you got, you know, people getting sewed back together. And mm-hmm. I love the monster makeup for De Niro. Yeah. I, I think it's like pretty solid. I think it's cool in as much as, you know, the classic... Uh, Boris Karloff Frankenstein like I know that's a beloved makeup and I'm not trying to say like it's not good or something but like the whole flat top design uh mm-hmm. never really made a whole lot of sense to me because he's just supposed to be a human yeah. or several humans put back together so the fact that he almost looks inhuman never made sense to me so I like this one in as much as you know it just looks like a fucked up medical experiment like it still yep. looks like a person just with a bunch of scars and shit but so on one hand, I appreciate how realistic it is. And on the other hand, I, I feel like it could have been pushed further or more interesting for me, I guess. Here's a question for you. Have you ever seen the original Frankenstein, the James Whale movie? Yeah. Yeah. Are you like a fan of that movie or are you more like me where it's like, I'm glad I've seen it. It's a classic, but I'm not like, it's yeah. not my speed. Like I'm not like, I would never be like dying to rewatch it, but like appreciate it. So here's a question then. Is there a Frankenstein movie that's like your favorite Frankenstein movie, and would this be it? Um, no, nah, I'd probably still say like Monster Squad. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like a real, like a Frankenstein, a telling of the Frankenstein story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot for that. I'm See, to think. I come to these movies with you can probably guess what I'm going to say. Oh, I was going to say there's. I know there's a Hammer one. Hammer. That I- you had me watch that I really like, but I can't think of which one it was. I love the Hammer movies, and I especially love the Hammer Frankenstein movies, the first two specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that Peter Cushing fucking, as you would say, stuffs Kenneth Branagh into a locker when it comes to playing <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein. And, I mean, they're going for something different with the kind of intelligent monster in this movie versus the uh the christopher lee frankenstein's monster is more of like the mindless creature like uh like the boris karloff version but Mm -hmm. i just love that movie so much that it's like this movie will always be compared to my favorite frankenstein which is that and similarly dracula like the uh the peter cushing christopher lee the first dracula movie i think is like for me the pinnacle of the Dracula films I've seen and so mm. I'm always comparing these to those and I wasn't sure if like if you had 
other films that you like directly put them in competition with? Well, like I said, I mean, you know, uh, if I was going to keep Monster Squad out of it, I it's similar with this, though. I watched and really liked at least one, if not two. You've had me watch the Hammer ones, mm-hmm. but I don't like remember the particulars. But if I was going to like say like which one I would want to rewatch at this point in my life, I would see myself rewatching the Hammer stuff because mm-hmm. I loved it. Like, you know, I really liked the Mummy uh, Hammer movie. Mm hmm. I'm pretty sure I watched both Frankenstein's because I think you gave them to me and I watched them a couple of years back and enjoyed them. So yeah, I'm not as like strong with you where it's like hard and fast, like the hammer ones are my jam, but yeah, I wouldn't say this, this, cause this evens, I do enjoy this movie, but I have problems with it. The one we've watched for the show, yep. but it's still, it doesn't feel like a quintessential Frankenstein. No. It feels like a reimagining of Frankenstein. And that's the thing is, like I was saying with Dracula, it feels like that movie came out and was so starkly different from the interpretations we'd seen of Dracula before that it became like a new cultural touchstone for what Mm -hmm. Dracula is and can be. Yep. But this Frankenstein movie feels like, I don't know what they could have done to try and do the same thing, but with Frankenstein's monster. But whatever it is they could have done, they didn't. Like, this ends up just feeling a little samey. Yeah, it's like, because um, I I think this this makeup looks good, like the technical level. Like, it looks like a man that's been stitched together and mm-hmm. he's gross. But back to, like, what you said, it's not like, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, there was a time with, like, say, comic book movies where before the Marvel stuff was coming out, and if there was going to be a comic book movie, it would be them. It would be someone like trying to take that idea of the comic and like mainstream it up for like hmm. general audiences. Yeah. And that's like kind of what this Frankenstein is. Like it's going for like what it would conventionally be if someone were to actually do this. And I think that looks good. And it's De Niro and it looks cool, but like it's not really like an iconic silhouette. And it's not like a, it's not an iconic creature design, but it's a good makeup. Yeah. the way I look at it. So, yeah, it doesn't make it a quintessential Frankenstein movie for me. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like even if it's not directly Frankenstein, there's so many. I mean, the whole, uh, you know, perversions of science by man is like a a subgenre of horror that I absolutely personally love. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other movies that, you know, they're not exactly Frankenstein, but stuff like The Fly or The Reanimator, I feel like, are much oh, yeah. more interesting than this with similar subject matter, obviously yeah. not the same, but mm-hmm. you know, man fucking around with things he doesn't understand and then right. having dire consequences come from it. So, yeah. I mean, the fly is like a good, a good example. Cause it's, it's like a fanatical scientist pushes it too far. Yeah. You know, t- instead of uh Frankenstein doing it to himself, he did uh dead bodies or Brundle does it to Brundle fly, you know, but mm-hmm. no, it's good. I mean, the fly kind of is like a modern day Frankenstein in a way, but yeah, they're all in that same ballpark. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I've now seen this twice within like the last two years and it just, it doesn't make many waves for me. Like, I think I'm always disappointed by De Niro in this. Like I look forward to seeing him and then when he shows up, he, he's -hmm. just so downplayed. I guess. I don't know. 
he doesn't get like uh like i said he doesn't doesn't get like any like chances to like really like pop off or like really like time to shine mm-hmm. this feels like this just feel and i'm not even saying if it's kind of branagh's fault but like he's far and away like the star it's like his oh, yeah. story it's like you know the monster is just like a you know just a, li- a little piece of the pie really mm-hmm. where they definitely could have got some more uh because i was even thinking while i was watching it so they have in the store in the movie it's john cleese's brain is inside the body of the guy that killed him yep like that's pretty interesting in and of itself that never gets touched on Mm -hmm. you know because he's like retraining himself to be a trying to be a person but it's like i couldn't help but think as i was watching it i was like like man like what's that story you know like uh if it's not just Frankenstein or something like that, like, you know, some sick maniac puts your brain inside the body of the guy that killed you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would have loved to see like, as I, again, I've seen this before, but I was like seeing it as like an adult now and being like, I was like totally glomming onto that idea and found myself like, kind of just like bummed out. Like it never kind of went far enough with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't, you didn't get, it was too much of like, Frankenstein the man's tale versus like the repercussions of what he's done I guess Mm -hmm. you know I felt it definitely lacking there yeah like I said just doesn't uh, just doesn't make a whole lot of waves for me yeah so especially knowing that it was so closely connected to Dracula and you know I don't love that movie but it is much more of a unique experience than this is Mm -hmm. shall we move on to our final film I mean, shall we switch gears completely? <laughs> yeah, seriously. So from 1999, we have The Mummy. Step over the threshold. Welcome to Cairo Prison, my humble home. You told me that you put it on a dick down in the Well, I was mistaken. You lied to me. I lied to everybody. What makes you so special? I am your sister. Yes, well, that just makes you more gullible. Jonathan, you stole it from a drunk at the local Casper. I picked his pocket, actually, so I don't think Jonathan, it's very good. Jonathan, you stop I... being so ridiculous. Now, what exactly is this man in prison for? Well, this I did not know. But when I heard you were coming, I asked him that myself. Yalla! And what did he say? He said he was just looking for a good time. This is, this is the man that you stole it from? Yes, exactly. So why don't we just go sniff out a spot of Tiffin? Who are you? And who's the broad? Broad? Well, I, I'm, I'm just local sort of missionary chap, spreading the good word and all that. But this, this is my sister, Evie. How do you? Oh, well, because she's not so lost. I beg your pardon. We'll be back in a moment. Ask him about the um, We've uh, found... Uh, hello, excuse me. Uh, we both found your, your puzzle box, and we've come to ask you about it. No. 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 You came to ask me about Hamanaptra. How do you know that the box pertains to Hamanaptra? Because that's where I was when I found it. I was there. But how do we know? That's not a load of pig swallow. You know, do I know you? No, no, no. no. I, I've just got one of those faces. <laughs> ah! You were actually at Hamanaptra. I was there. You swear? Every damn day. No, I didn't mean that. I know what you meant. I was there. Seti's place, city of the dead. Could, could you tell me how to get there? 
I mean, the exact location. You want to know? Well, well, yes. Do you really want to know? Yes. Then get me the hell out of here! Do it, lady! Where are they taking him? To be hanged. Apparently, he had a very good time. Directed by Stephen Summers, who gave mm-hmm. us one of our first films we reviewed, Deep Rising. Oh. Longtime favorite of mine, as you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After he made this, he did The Mummy Returns, and then he did Van Helsing, which I've never seen. Neither have I. I would very much like to see that now, though. Like, It's a movie that back when it came out, I remember just thinking, like, that looks so stupid, and mm-hmm. I see what they're doing. But now it's been long enough that I'm like, okay, I'm ready to see how fucking weird that movie was with, like, Hugh Jackman. (laughs) Set that up for us there, Mills. (laughs) And then uh, went on to direct G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, the first G.I. Joe live-action movie, which I have not seen in many years now, but back when it first came out, I was one of the few vocal fans of. I, Mm -hmm. I can't claim to be a fan anymore because I haven't seen it in so long, but, uh... At one time, I will admit, at least, I was a fan. Maybe I still am. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch it. Well, let me let me uh, make that happen <laughs> as well. But it's funny to think, like, so this movie, The Mummy, has um, Brendan Fraser, uh, Arnold Vosloo as Imhotep, and Kevin J. O'Connor, who also was in Deep Rising, as Benny. And then mm. G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, has a cameo by Brendan Fraser, uh, mm-hmm. Arnold Vosloo plays um, Destro, right? No, he's uh, like the Master of Disguise kind of character. Oh, Zartan. Zartan. And then Kevin J. O'Connor is in that movie as Dr. Mindbender. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> worked with a lot of the same people. I know Kevin J. O'Connor is in uh, Van Helsing as well. He plays Igor. Oh, man, I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> so, but yeah, then uh, Summer is like, I think he's done one or two other things, but like largely dropped off the face of the earth. It's like he did The Mummy, which was a huge success, rode that wave for a couple of other movies, and then Van Helsing and G.I. Joe didn't do so hot, and now he's like a nobody again, mm. which is weird. He's doing TV or something. So yeah, I mean, this this movie, I would say some questionable CG aside, which doesn't ruin anything because it's still Mm -hmm. okay. You know, they put the time and money into it to make it as good as they could back then. That stuff aside, like this is just a fun movie that I feel like it would be difficult to find any real fault in. Like this is not a movie where I feel like I could take someone serious if they wanted to be like really critical of it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this movie sets the tone almost immediately and it's like presented to you the the exact ride you're about to go on. And man, that roller coaster ride's fun as hell. Yeah. And actually I don't even think the CG looks all that bad, to be honest. Well, like I said, it's not it's not like abysmal. It's not like um I don't know. It's of its time. It's of its time and like it probably like plays to like it's got a cartoony kind of nature to it, but mm-hmm. that fits the tone of the movie. There's just like some ugly textures and things like when he's yeah, in exactly. his fully animated, but like my body hasn't regenerated yet. Mummy form where he's just like 
his skin almost looks like tree bark or something. Mm-hmm. It's it's like very detailed and it's like the lighting's never quite right on him. Yeah, that stuff, like, it doesn't even look that bad. It's probably more the lighting is with the yeah. old CG stuff that makes it look off. Like I said, though, like, like, if there was one thing I could point to as being like, this is a flaw in the film, it would be that. Like, as far as, like, the, the story and the writing and the tone and the characters mm-hmm. and the cast and the filmmaking itself and the set pieces, all of that is fantastic. Yeah. And it's like a big action movie but it's still like a fun curse of the mummy story too yeah. so all i'm saying is like the only thing i could point to as being a flaw these days because i'm sure mm-hmm. it looked amazing back when it came out is right. that the cg has aged but i mean it's a movie from 1999 right. i mean i can say the same thing about the matrix that it came out the same year that had the most mind-blowing special effects we'd ever seen and i can watch it now and say yeah like some of the characters look bendy and sometimes things don't mm-hmm. look exactly real but yeah. does that affect my enjoyment of the film mm-hmm. no does this affect my enjoyment of the mummy no yeah i'm i'm right there with you yeah i mean it's like i'm not even faulting it mm-hmm. i just think like all things considered, because you can look, you know, we can like look at, because I think of, um, as we were watching this, for whatever reason, I thought of, remember how bad in The Devil's Advocate that CG is at the end with that weird wall mosaic thing? <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, that's like similar time frame. And I was like, man, like, the, as much more CG is in The Mummy, and I'm sure they put more money into it, like this doesn't look all that bad like that. I would yeah, even yeah. shit on it. Like I'm enjoying this still. There's like weird, like water and smoke effects. That's probably like, if I had to be critical about something from the mummies, like that's what like probably to me would look the worst. But even then, like it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. It fits. Yeah. The movie just works on so many levels still. That's just so much fun. The difference is probably devil's advocate. I'm not sure what the budget of that was, but majority oh, of, of the budget probably yeah. went to Pacino. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so certainly budget things, but I'm just saying for the time of like how bad things could look. Yeah. But I'm saying like this, this is an $80 million movie and, um, I'm sure that that was a pretty enormous budget at the time yeah, for yeah. something like untested like this. Mm-hmm. So one of the most interesting things about this movie to me, and I knew a little bit of this beforehand, just from listening to interviews with the likes of Mick Garris and, uh, Clive Barker in the past. But um, there was a very long road to this movie making it to the screen and this incarnation of this movie. Oh, yeah. So in the 1980s, Universal decided that they wanted to bring back the mummy and do some kind of film with it. And originally their intention was to make like a cheap, like a $10 million horror movie. And I mean, I didn't bother writing down all of the details of it, but along the way, uh, George Romero, Clive Barker, Mick Garris, Alan Ormsby, who gave us Porky's 2, uh, John Sales, who was responsible for Piranha, Alligator, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, and The Howling, and Joe Dante all worked on different versions of a mummy movie leading up to this. And most interesting to me, I, you know, I've i listened to so many episodes of Mick Garris's podcast, I couldn't tell you which one it was he talked about it on, but um, he and Clive Barker were working on a version of The Mummy in the 90s, which I would desperately like to go 
to another reality where that movie exists mm-hmm. and see it. Mm-hmm. It sounded fucking fascinating, but none of those movies came to pass. And then apparently Steven Summers, who I, I don't know what else he has done in the industry, but his first movie he directed was Deep Rising right before mm. this movie. And he apparently, I think there was like a changeover in... um in like the people in charge of universal and he came in for like a general meeting and had like an 18 page pitch for the mummy. And they like, when they saw it, they apparently like sight unseen were just like, yes, we like this. Let's do it. Damn. And, uh, they actually gave him a bigger budget than he had asked for. And it just feels like everything pretty much fell into place. And I don't know if, if the movie that we have was a, pure result of Steven Summers's brain. What a like one in a million product yeah. he managed to put together. I mean, the, the only downside is that there's not like five of them. Well, there are three. <laughs> and if you count the Scorpion King movies, there's more than that. <laughs> Which is like too bad. It's like, I still like, if you want to talk about like a, a dark universe, like, I would think it's been said before, like I would have loved to have seen the version that's like Stephen Summers is the executive producer of them all. And they're all tied into this mummy movie. Yeah. Stephen Summers, like vampire movie in this kind of vein. Like totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, sign me up for that. A werewolf movie. <laughs> yeah, I could. That's what I'm saying, you know, I would have been down. Well, then again, there is Van Helsing, which I haven't seen yet, but I think has like vampires and werewolves and all in it. So. Maybe that movie will prove us wrong. <laughs> well, we'll see. Or not even that. It was just like if the, if they got the, like a Brendan Fraser like series of movies where it just it wasn't only oh, just yeah. Mummy and brought in other, you know, that little squad of his. Mm-hmm. I get behind that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, Brendan Fraser, just fucking perfect in this. I mean, mo- the yeah. entire cast is, honestly. Yeah. Rachel Wise is great. Yeah, she's great. She's great in the sequel, too. I haven't seen the second one in a very, very long time, so I remember pretty much nothing about it. Yeah, there's still fun characters. Like we said, the tone of this is just right. I mean, it's it's set in the exact right time and like whatever mm-hmm. it is, the 30s or whatever, right where it should be. Yeah, I know the Mick Garris version was going to be modern day, which again, I would I would love to see it. Yeah, but... there's there's ways to do that, but when you just think of like you said, like the 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 hodgepodge of how this movie came together, like all the aspects, like everything's just right. Yeah. I mean, I know you were not a fan of him in deep rising. I love him in that movie. I, I love Kevin O'Connor in this as, Mm -hmm. as Benny. Mm -hmm. Uh, He brings so much to it. I just find that guy hilarious. Uh, I mean, he's also in chill factor, which I'm a big fan of. (laughs) No, he's like a good, good rat bastard in this movie. And yeah, he's such a good, like sleazy kind of, yeah character actor sidekick i love him so much i love it's like ambiguous like who he is because and even then when he's like he's thinking the mummy's gonna kill him and he's like pulling out like every like religious artifact he can to try (laughs) to pray to something you know and that and then that does actually save his life Mm -hmm. and then at the end he's just like he was just in it for the money the whole time anyway and Mm -hmm. i love all that stuff some creepy ass scarabs you know yeah Scarab's uh, always coming for you. Like that's just fun to me. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably like the only the the one thing, and it's not even a question of like 
quote unquote good or bad CG. It's a thing I probably brought up before. It's like the whole like uh uh disjointed jaw elongated mouth thing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I just always like hate to see it. There's a lot of it in this movie and it's you know, it's a it's in um God, what's the uh, I am movie? legend. I am legend. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. another one. Like every anytime I see it anywhere, I'm just like, oh god damn it. So I was like coming back to this, but Again, doesn't ruin the fun. Yeah, it's like at this point in the design phase, you would think the people making movies with that kind of effect would realize, oh, this doesn't really work. Yeah. Well, it's, and, and even then, it's it's just unnecessary. It doesn't do anything. But that's such a that's such a gripe specific to me. But it doesn't yeah. take away from the fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy, uh, just every cast member is great in this. The guy who plays uh, Rachel Wise's brother, mm-hmm. John Hanna. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the hell he is. Uh, he was in Four Weddings and a Funeral and The Hurricane, which I've never seen. Those were like the other two biggest movies he's mm. done. But same. Apparently, he is not known for comedy and like wasn't comfortable doing comedy. But Stephen Summers saw something in him, and I think he's great in the movie in a comedic role. Yeah, totally. And it doesn't feel like a pain, like an annoying comedic sidekick either. Yeah, he's not like um, you know, what's his name from Judge Dredd. Uh, Rob Schneider yeah right you Mm -hmm. know like the forced comedic uh sidekick yeah for sure what's the guy's name who he's like the one who is having uh Brendan Fraser's character hanged at the beginning and then he goes along with them as well uh like the short chubby guy Mm, yeah I can't remember I can't remember what his character's name is but he's great he's super fun and charismatic Mm-hmm. And then Arnold Vosloo, who, I mean, outside of this movie, I think the thing I know him most for is taking over the role of Liam Neeson in Darkman 2 and 3. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the sequels. Yeah, he plays the lead in the two of those. I think they were both like direct-to-video. That's hilarious. But, uh, you know, he hasn't had like a huge career. He's in stuff here and there, like G.I. Joe, as I mentioned. He was in the mm-hmm. movie Blood Diamond. I've seen that. I don't remember him in it. But um, he is just like looks perfect in this. Yep. It's interesting that like the entire movie is so goofy. But then uh, Stephen Summers gave him the direction of like he takes it completely seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes him a really effective villain. And there's yeah, like nothing works. goofy or corny about him. He's intimidating. The fact that you never actually, you know, he doesn't speak any English. So it just makes him feel like mm-hmm. foreign and scary. And yeah, no, that's a good point. He's great. Just everybody in it. I, the cast is amazing. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Even the, the fucking dude who plays the pilot. Yeah. It dies in the quicksand. <laughs> Yeah, Winston. That guy's so good. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like, this is just like, would have been the perfect setup for multiple movies with these, all these casts of characters and that, that setting, that time. It just would have been perfect. Yeah. It's too bad. I never thought about that before, but that would have been awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, How would you have felt with Brad Pitt, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, or believe it or not, Tom Cruise in the lead role back in the day? Because the movie was offered to all of them and they all turned it down. <laughs> See, like immediately feels like none of them fit the tone of this movie. Yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> Affleck, maybe, but it's just, it's such an iconic Brendan Fraser role. Like I couldn't see any of them playing it 
It just they would feel like <laughs> such different movies. Yeah, like they the really part would. where the uh, the mummy like growls at him, and then uh, Brendan Fraser just goes like, like ah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's hard to imagine any like, of them Matt doing Damon that. doing that and it being as good. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, he looks he just like looks the part, and he acts it. It looks like um. Like old school, uh, what's his name? Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Oh, yeah, for sure. It also has a little bit of a feeling of like a proto-Star Lord. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Yeah, totally. Here's the real kicker, though. Uh, So those guys all were offered the movie and turned it down. But apparently Leonardo DiCaprio was really into the script and wanted to star, but he was already committed to that movie The Beach. Oh, uh, but okay. so much did he want to be in this that he asked the producers of that film if they could delay it so that he could do both, and they refused. Oh shit! So this was apparently close to being a Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle, which, <laughs> like young Leo, I could see a little bit more than older Leo. I mean, yeah, this is like just a couple years out from Titanic. Yeah, I mean, he had become a big star from Titanic like two years before this. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he was still pretty young. I I could see him, of all people, in this back then. Yeah. I mean, that's... It honestly does make more sense than the other three or four. Yeah. But then when all of the others fell through, <laughs> the reason that they considered Brendan Fraser is because, again, this movie was a little bit of a risk, and uh, he had just done George of the Jungle, which cleaned up in the box office and made $174.4 million. Mm. So they were like, this guy is a bankable star. <laughs> Look at that. This got to be like his biggest movie too, right? Yeah, got to be. This or the second one were huge. Mm-hmm. Or both really, but. Yeah, I mean, he was doing comedy stuff like Encino Man and was Blast from the Past one of his. Yeah. And then. Like the bunker or whatever. Yeah. And then he yeah. does like George of the Jungle right before this. I think, uh. What was the other one, the Mountie movie that he did? I was just going to say, I know he did a Canadian Mountie thing. Yeah. Uh, that was after this, I believe. But yeah, he did like these, the, the three mummy movies between like, in like a decade between like 99 and 09 with a couple of other things. And again, I feel like the, the last thing I really remember hearing about with him was the uh, Looney Tunes back in action, live action animated like crossover movie which was mm. directed by Joe Dante, because he's, like, if you hear him in any interview, he always brings up the Looney Tunes because he's a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And then that was, like, the last thing I really remember hearing about with Brendan Fraser, and he kind of dropped off the face of the earth for a good decade there. Oh. Yeah, same here. I don't even know. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but uh, you would have thought he would have had a little more staying power after The Mummy. You would think, especially the second. I mean, but I don't know if it's, like, the second one was big, but then, like, you know, The Rock took over, and that's why they just made Scorpion King movie instead of <laughs> More Mummy. I don't know. But but like with the boom of, so this came out in 99. That's the same year X-Men came out. So Brendan Fraser becomes a huge star, like handsome, charismatic leading man during the time period that, like, X-Men, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Daredevil, Elektra, the Angley Hulk, all those movies are coming out. How did he not end up in a superhero yeah, movie? Totally. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. That is, that's honestly surprising to me thinking about it now. Because, like, if I'm not mistaken, that third Mummy movie came out in 07, which was the year before the MCU started. Like, there had to have been something out there for him. I think so. 
but yeah, who knows? Hmm. Who knows, man? Apparently, Brendan Fraser nearly died during the scene where they were hanging him. He actually stopped breathing and had to be revived. Oh, damn. Uh, that's kind of fucked up. Like I read that <laughs> before I, uh, I watched the movie again and mm. like watching that scene, I, it made me feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough too. And like, we didn't even say in Frankenstein, there's that ridiculous hanging scene too, where they boot that girl off that building. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's like <laughs> yeah. hard to watch. Like, damn, they did it wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's like the farthest drop I've ever seen someone oh, hang for from. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, speaking of how good this movie did, uh, $80 million budget, the first one did $416.4 million in the box office, so it was a bona fide hit back in 1999. And uh, one of the funny anecdotes that I read is that Stephen Summers said uh, the morning after the movie debuted, his phone rang, and it was one of the execs from the studio who said to him, quote, we need another one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And so they jumped right into the second one, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to watch the second one now. Yeah, I do too. And I'd like to watch the third one. Uh, I, yeah. I I even, I don't know if I've ever seen the Scorpion King or not. I've seen that one. Yeah. I've obviously seen the horrible CG. You're right. But right. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that movie. And I kind of want to take, I don't know if I want to do a deep dive into Scorpion King, like three and four, however many there are. I'm trying to think of who takes over for it too. Some some C-list actor. I can't think of it. But I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, back when we did our episode Do the Herky Jerky and we talked about the uh, lead actor in Robot Wars who mm-hmm. went on to become a director of stuff like the last like four direct-to-video Tremors movies and a couple of the uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal war movie, uh, Jarhead. He did like a couple mm. of Jarhead sequels and Kindergarten Cop 2 with Dolph Lundgren. I'm pretty sure he directed one or two of the... Uh, Oh, the Scorpion King movies as well. That actor. <laughs> I'm gonna have to find a trifecta for him to shine. Mizzy. Oh God, <laughs> that's just what we need. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a of a deep dive myself now, especially because I've never seen the third Mummy movie. I like it. Yeah, so this movie uh, sold seven million units on VHS in the first year, making it the oh. biggest seller on VHS that year. And 1 million units on DVD, which was a new technology at the time, Mm -hmm. making it the second highest seller on DVD that year after The Matrix. Money making money everywhere. Something for everybody in The Mummy. I I feel like I don't have as much to say about this one because I like everything so much. It's just a lot of fun. Like, there's so many... Like this one, just it keeps on moving. It's always entertaining. Yeah. There's a bunch of set pieces. Yeah, you know, it's not like four scenes. It's fourteen. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're all got something wild going on. Yeah, there's a surprising amount of like scenery changes, considering mm-hmm. that the majority of the movie takes place in the desert. No, there's a bunch. They yeah, they went for it with this one. Yeah, and it just has that. I don't know, that fun swashbuckly Indiana Jones yeah. kind of feeling to it. Yeah, it feels like feels like uh, Indiana Jones, a little Rocketeer, a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, those eighties, nineties movies for sure. It's funny you bring up the Rocketeer. I, I remember when we reviewed that movie for the show, we talked about how Bill Campbell, like we hadn't seen anything else that he was in, mm-hmm. and it seemed like he should have been like a bigger star than he was. He's actually in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of the three dudes. It's like Carrie Elways and two other guys. 
Oh, yeah. He's one of them. <laughs> Holy shit. I didn't even realize. <laughs> I still can't even quite picture him, but. Yeah, me neither. But, uh, yeah, he was he was in that hmm. movie. All right. It's it's only like the second thing I've ever seen him in, <laughs> and I love the guy. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, what else, is there? Is there anything else? What do you have for the Mummy? I I just I enjoy this movie so much. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like it's I guess I touched on it in the beginning, but I was like so into just Egypt and mummies and pyramids when I was a kid. Like I would always go to the Avon Library because it was better than the Brockton one, and they had this like big section on egypt and i would like take books out i'd sit there and read them like i was totally into it like so much so that like 94 i think it was 94 i was 12 like stargate came out like that's one of my all-time favorite movies like i love that movie and so much of that is you know so anything like anything like big action adventure and then throwing in anything egypt or the mythology stuff i love it all so (laughs) yeah i mean Pretty much all of these characters that we're talking about, Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, I've I've mentioned this before on like sidetracked and whatnot, but, um, you know, when I was growing up, I loved horror stuff. I don't exactly know how I started on that path, but like Ghostbusters was my favorite thing when I was a kid. It wasn't like G.I. Joe or Transformers or Thundercats. It was Ghostbusters. So it was like ghosts and creepy stuff. And like, if there was like a line of books, like uh, the Bernstein Bears books or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, I was always drawn to like the one edition that was like, oh, this one isn't like they learn to tie their shoes or they go to the market. It's the one where they like investigate a spooky tree in the forest. <laughs> like I was always into like creepy stuff and horror stuff when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but never ever had any interest in mummies or dracula vampires werewolves and all like for whatever reason ever since i was a kid i wanted stuff that was like different like the alien or the graboids from tremors or whatever the predator like these weren't like these time-honored well-worn tropes Mm -hmm. and i think you know obviously times have changed Uh, And I'm into stuff like the Hammer movies, and I really love this movie, and I even have respect for something like the Bram Stoker's Dracula that we just talked about. And I think it just came down to finding the, you know, noteworthy examples of them. Yeah. Because, like, this Mummy movie, it's not that scary at all. Like, I don't think it's intended to be scary. It's supposed to be a fun adventure movie. But, like, if I had this movie to watch when I was, like, a little kid, Mm -hmm. I think I would have absolutely loved it and i might have had a different outlook on mummies but like in my mind it was like every interpretation of a mummy i saw as a kid was just like the stiff person with their arms out in front of them wrapped in bandages and i guess i never found that like scary that's funny like i don't know necessarily where it all starts for me it could even be like monster squad or something but always like kind of like i was always into werewolves and vampires and i've actually looked because there's I don't know the title of it, but I'd know it if I saw it. I've probably told you this before, actually. It was like a paperback. It was almost like an encyclopedia of like monsters and mythology. Like I remember we were talking about like the the Kappa vampires, you know, like knowing mm-hmm. like those old myths and everything. I had this book and I would just like read it cover to cover like frequently just reading about all different kinds of monsters and mummy stories like 
that was like my introduction i feel like to monsters again and then there's like kaiju stuff because that was what was on um you know like the creature double feature and stuff like that but yeah so i don't even know so much of it was like the the hardcore movies like i didn't see like the old universal stuff till like much later but it was more like spatterings of it as a kid but there was like plenty of reading reading things yeah it's interesting you know i listened to a fair number of podcasts like on my drive to work and whatever and uh you know because i'm into horror movies and things i lean towards stuff like the best movies never made podcast where they talk about unmade films and they get on like a lot of genre filmmakers to talk about stuff or uh the movies that made me which is co-hosted by joe dante who is known mm-hmm. as like a horror director and they get a lot of guys that like he knows who are like within the horror community to come on and talk about stuff and uh you know, I, I feel like guys of a certain age, like that Joe Dante generation and even like a generation after him, because he's getting up there in age now. I've heard so many guests on those podcasts talk about like what got them into monsters or horror or just films in general was like, oh, when I was a kid, you know, my grandfather would sit me down and we would watch uh, like old black and white movies on like uh, Friday night or like Saturday afternoon when they aired on TV and people talk about like the original Frankenstein or like the original King Kong as like these life changing things for them. And I feel like being a generation or three removed from that age range. Uh, I just, you know, there were so many other movies by the time I was in my formative years that I had shit like Ghostbusters and the Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I've never, you know, I can I can watch like the classic like uh, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi movies and, you know, I can appreciate them, but I don't like super get into them. Right. And like I was kind of saying is like you got to find your own versions. So like. I obviously love the Hammer stuff, but in addition, like, you know, the reanimator is more of, like, my yeah. favorite Frankenstein movie than anything. And I, like, I, th- I think back, like, uh, like big for me, but I was, like, Critters and Gremlins were, like, mm-hmm. huge for me. Like, those kind of things, too. Like, like, my earliest monster movies, you know? Yeah. And it just feels like, you know, it's, it's like, a, a version of what's going on now. Like, someone like me can sit back and kind of sound like an old man <laughs> and be like, oh, well, like... You know, when we were kids, uh, there were, oh, God, you know, yeah. there was like G.I. Joe, Transformers, Ghostbusters, Thundercats. Like there were like five or six different things and everybody had their favorite, but most people like watched all of them. And nowadays you see like how many cartoons and and different kinds of shows there are. And it's like if you, you know, move to a new town and you're meeting all the new kids in your school in like fifth grade for the first time. I would think it would be possible that uh, you could tell someone your favorite show and they never would have heard of it and vice versa. Oh, totally. (laughs) And uh, I think that the experience we had was like a more simplified version of that Mm -hmm. where when the people I'm talking about, like Joe Dante, were kids and they were watching like all that was available to them. And by the time we were growing up in the 80s and early 90s, there wasn't as much available to us then as there is to kids now. But there was a lot more available to us in the 80s and 90s than there was to Joe Dante back in like oh, the God, 60s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's only, so, only gets ramped up more and more as the years go on. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Long story short, uh, you know, like I said, you kind of have to come around and I guess find your own versions of these characters and movies that work for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, long before I saw the Hammer Mummy, 
I, you know, I, I loved this since like the first time I want to say, I saw this in the theater with my dad when I was younger, but I, I can't remember specifically, but I, I feel like I did. Yeah. I, I can't remember. Generally can never remember this stuff anyway, but I can't imagine I did not see this in the theater. Just that my excitement level would have been pretty high. Viva the Steven Summers mummy. Uh, shall we look at some posters? Please. Uh, so first up we have Dracula. It's a nice looking poster. I like the logo. Logo's good. I mean, there's a lot going on, but it, I think it's actually a good call on their part to like have it be like the stone relief around the, mm-hmm. rather than just like your kind of general photoshopped image. Uh, everything's fighting for uh, attention. Yeah, like all the times I've seen this poster throughout my life, which has been many, because this is another one that I think was like an ad in a lot of comic books back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever really stopped and looked at all the images contained within like the archway. Right, it's, yeah, I know it, I haven't. Yeah. It works as something where you can like look at those and get a lot of ideas of like different scenes and characters in the movie. Or if you just generally look at the poster, your eyes drawn to all the color, which is in the center. And that outside stuff just blends together and kind of becomes a design element, mm-hmm. which is, I think it's pretty smart. Like you yeah. said, I think it's, yeah. uh, it's clever the way they did that. Yeah. No, I dig it. Love never dies. Nice, simple tagline. Yeah. I feel like more often than not, we get some pretty rough posters on the show. So mm-hmm. uh, this one is, uh, I mean, it's, what do we say? This one was 92. I mean, mm-hmm. This is looks like some early early Photoshop, but looks uh, doesn't look half bad. Yeah, I'm impressed, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I saw this when I was looking at posters for the movie as well. So this is an image of like basically a spotlight pointing straight down, and uh, some chains holding up that like uh, metal plate. rack that uh, Frankenstein is on in the in like the laboratory. Mm-hmm. The version of the poster I always remember seeing, which might have just been a teaser thing, is like just the title Frankenstein real big in the center, like surrounded by like a blue glow. And it had a tagline on it. Just like. I did see that. Yeah, this seems to be the. I'm not familiar with this poster. Same yeah. for me. I'm the one you're thinking of. But the other one, I believe, was just a teaser because it didn't have any of the yeah title stuff. I mean, between the two, like just from memory, because I'm not looking at the one I was just talking about with just the logo in the center. I think that the one with the logo is the more eye grabbing image. I mean, it it was blue and white. This is pretty much just white and gray. You don't really know what you're looking at here. I mean, having just watched the movie or if you know what Frankenstein is, you can infer that like, oh, that's Frankenstein's monster Mm -hmm. hanging in the lab. But this like. This poster needs like a bigger um, like spotlight to like make out some of the features because it gets kind of muddied. Yeah, it's so minimal. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make out. Like you said, it's hard to make out what's going on in this one. Yeah. I mean, you can get a lot of traction with these movies from just the title because a lot of times yeah, of we'll course. talk about whether or not a poster gets across what the movie actually is. And in this case, kind of like, you know, with that other one I was saying where it's just the title in the center covered in like a blue glow you see the name frankenstein it's kind of all you need Mm -hmm. but you know this one they chose to go with this image that i don't know it's not it's not doing anything for me yeah i mean it it works quote unquote but it's not exciting by any means yeah 
Not terribly impressed by that one. Yeah. Just like everything about this Frankenstein movie falls short uh, for me of the Dracula movie that came two Mm -hmm. years prior made by a lot of the Mm -hmm. same people. (laughs) Totally right. And then uh, The Mummy, um, this is another like classic. I've seen this a thousand times in like advertisements and stuff. I would say that, you know, if I had never seen the movie looking at this, I potentially would have been interested with like the big face made out of sand in the sky and Mm -hmm. like the glowing logo and everything. But having seen the movie, I feel like this doesn't sell the movie that you see. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is like the iconic poster, but even this still feels like a more of a teaser. Yeah. This is what these were all were just what IMDb gives as the posters. But, um, I mean, is there an alternate poster with like the characters on it for the mummy? There is. Yeah. But I've never, I wasn't super familiar with it. So that's why I went with this seems to just be, this is the, the one people would think of. Mm-hmm. But there is like a kind of, you know, photoshopped character poster. Yeah, I'm looking at that now and it's also not familiar to me. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my qualm with this one, like it's not bad just as like an image on a color scheme and everything. This could just be a horror movie. Like you yeah. get no impression of the personality of the film from this. Mm-hmm. And the film has such a big personality. Oh, yeah. Kind of like you said, like Dracula, Drac- the Dracula poster presents so much from that movie and mm-hmm. the tone where this does not. Nothing about this says you're going to ha- go on a wild ride. Yeah. I think you kind of nailed it where it, this feels more like the the horror movie version. Yeah. I would not expect there to be, uh, you know, wild Brendan Fraser fisticuffs and plane rides and humor of any kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> humor. Like, it's tough to judge it because I know the movie. Uh, I mean, it's it's fine as, like, a poster image, but, I mean, with the context of having seen the film, I, I have to judge it and say that it's not the strongest thing mm-hmm. in the world. Millsy Baby, break it down for the people. Dracula, it's a really good poster. The more I look at it, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give it uh, five topless vampire brides. <laughs> Even more for a total than the movie of itself. for a total of ten free range vampire boobies. Dang, <laughs> people, you know it's good. One of whom was Monica Bellucci. Did you know that in the I, movie? I, I did. I <laughs> as it was her, I was like, oh, she's been in the game a little longer than you think. <laughs> yeah. Jumping ahead to the Mummy, I'm I'm gonna give it a three. It's uh, I guess I'll say three scarabs. Mm. Uh, <laughs> serviceable yeah i mean it's an okay image like if i saw this hanging in a movie theater i would be like yeah i'd like to check that out mm-hmm. uh, maybe not as much as if it had a couple more details on it to pique my interest more than oh this is a mummy movie with a giant sand face but you know it's it's fine fair the frankenstein poster like if you take away the title what am I looking at here? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's like too dark. It's too like this light's cutting off the head and the the feet all it's just like it's barely a shadow below it that you can make out. That's it's all just like chains. Yeah, like the title, even the placement of the title is like kind of obscuring the yeah. the the thing that's hanging there as well. That's a good point. It's not good. Uh mm. I'm gonna give this one 
it's going to be a one. One bucket of uh, amniotic fluid. <laughs> fresh. Fresh amniotic fluid. Still warm from that woman's body heat. I mean, just... He he was there as soon as that dropped to pay for it. Uh, He he was waiting. Yeah. What a scene. (laughs) Just that they had to collect that much of it. I like your style, Mills. Good job. (laughs) I got to say really quick, Mm. before we rank and finalize the episode, uh, I forgot to mention, um, I had this little note written down. (laughs) Take a wild stab in the dark at the director and the actor that they wanted for Frankenstein's monster, the the studio. The actor and the director? Yeah, the director and the actor they wanted to play the monster. Just a wild stab in the dark. Hmm. Who they want to play the monster? 94. Um... I feel like this could be very easy, but also very hard to figure out. Patrick Swayze. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I feel like they just what? wanted him in anything. He was yeah. just bankable back then. He's just yeah, he's just making money left and right. Yeah, it didn't matter what it was. It could have been the Richie Rich movie and they would have Jesus wanted him to play Richie. Christ. What wow. about the director? Who do you think they wanted? Mm, Gotta be a little tougher for me. Uh I mean, this person would have been a way better choice for a genre film like this, in my opinion. James the, Cameron. No. I mean no. That, that with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that could have been a good call. <laughs> uh Tim Burton. Oh. Yeah. And I mean he he eventually did Frank and Weenie, which was also a mm-hmm. short film, so I mean this this movie's lacking in style. So and Tim Burton probably would have injected some of that. For sure. Especially back then. I mean nowadays yeah. I feel like he just doesn't have style yeah. anymore. But Different story. <laughs> yeah, his style now is having no style, but Ooh. Ooh. I mean, look at the stuff that he puts out now compared to like Beetlejuice and flaming arrows left and right. (laughs) Pee wee, you know. (laughs) All right. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) All right. uh, Bye, borrow, burn. Uh, Do you know where you stand? Uh, Yeah. I don't think there's going to be any big surprises here. Mm -hmm. Lay it on me. I'm not tossing old old Frank into the sun. There's some things I like about it, but it's certainly a, a burn. You know, it's it's not moving the needle like the other two, that's for sure. Yeah. Coming into this episode, I was like, there's no way I'm not buying The Mummy over the other two, even before watching them, just because of how much I love The Mummy. I was honestly extremely surprised by my experience finally watching Dracula, finally making my <laughs> making way through, through watch, making my way through Dracula for uh, a number of reasons. You couldn't have two completely different movies. That are about, you know, related uh, monsters. But, um, I mean, the the mummy's still going to be my buy. It's too much fun for it not to be just, like, always have a, a place in my heart and still find myself enjoying it. Even with, like, not even for nostalgia's sake, but still just finding this movie immensely enjoyable. But the Bram Stoker's Dracula might be, like, one of my most surprising borrows for me. Like, to the point where it's like, I could own this and, like, watch behind the scenes or... I want to watch the uh, commentary, the whole thing. The, the story feels like a mess, but there's so much other like eye candy for me in my life right now that like I could watch this again pretty soon just to see, just even like kind of, you know, try to figure out what effect I'm seeing or, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, some of the other bits. So surprising, but fun experience for me for sure with this episode. Nice. There it is. 
Uh, my rankings, I'm right there with you. I like it. Frankenstein is just kind of a wet noodle for me. Like, there's some things I like about it. It's not a hard movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying before, it's, you know, easier to comprehend than Dracula. And in that way, it's easier to just sit through it. But Dracula is easily the more interesting film, uh, visually and conceptually, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I would even, I feel, take uh, Keanu Reeves's kind of poor performance over Kenneth Branagh's just shirtless yeah, middle could, of the road. <laughs> I could roll with that. I could roll with that. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, The Mummy, I mean, it uh, for me, it doesn't compare the other two yeah. and The Mummy. Uh, the Mummy is just a fucking blast. It's a different kind of movie from the other two, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's just it's just an undeniably fun movie. Like I said yeah. before, I I feel like I could not take anybody serious who wants to be seriously critical about the Mummy, right? Because it is what it is. It knows what it is, and what right. it is, it is a very good example yeah. of. Like if you know what it is going in, how could you not? How could you fault it? Like you said, yeah. So. I can dig it, Millsy. We're matching up. We're matching up quite a bit lately. Yeah. Look at us. <laughs> Maybe we just have to get some more uh, unusual and diverse uh, trios to discuss. Oh, well, let's see. To really tear our opinions asunder. Let's see what uh, we're about to get hit with now. All right. Uh, we have 240 themes currently available. Shit. 240. Just added a few in the last couple days. Hmm. Here we go. 78, Millsy. 78. All right, okay. This is going to be good. So the theme that we're revealing now is going to be for episode 61. <gasps> yes. <laughs> which is going to be the first episode of season six Ooh. coming at you in about six weeks. And that theme is love in the fourth dimension. Man. This I'm excited about. There's some. There's some good stuff here. I adore the middle movie here, <laughs> as you're well aware. Yes, I am a big fan as well. I haven't seen the other two, and I'm dying to see the third one, based off your recommendation. I've seen them all, and I like them all. So yeah, this is mm. this is a this is a good one. I think now for should, something different. Yeah, should be some interesting conversation for that. So oh yeah, as I said, uh, that's going to be. Start of season six in a couple of weeks. Love in the fourth dimension. There go them boys again. Season six. Yeah. Uh, tell us what you think the movies are. Yeah, please. Try your hand. Mm-hmm. But with that said, Mills, closing out season five, I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.